Welcome to the Payroll Insights Podcast. I'm Steve Bogner here on my second cup of coffee. Apparently, I need a little bit more so I can talk clearly. Um, and with me, my partner in crime, Nina Scott. Good morning, Nina. Good morning, Steve. And we have a, a special guest today, Henry Colvin, who has uh, been doing payroll implementations for a long time. Hey, Henry, how you doing? Hey, Steve. Good morning. So we are talking today about um, broadly about payroll implementations, and it doesn't really depend on the technology at all. But um, and, and Henry, we brought Henry, and he has this really nice concept called delivering with the end in mind, and and. I've thought about this over the years too, and I've used it not with that terminology, but um, it's it's a really good way of sort of making sure that you keep your project on track and going in the right direction so that you get the value that you are looking for. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it, it doesn't depend so much on the technology at all. Um, and it can even, you know, it doesn't have to be a payroll implementation that you could relate this to an acquisition or any sort of big effort you have going on, right, Henry? So tell us more about delivering with the end in mind. Um, and, you know, how does someone think about that? How do they get started with that? You know, what's it all about? Sure. Um, I, I guess the good news is this is a fairly basic concept. So anyone can apply it. Like you said, it's it's technology and and industry agnostic. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, but really, it's recognizing that when a client engages in a project, they're moving from a, a steady state operational mode where you kind of know what's coming at you week after week into a very dynamic, changing, fluid environment where you're making a lot of decisions. You're, you're not only thinking about why do I even do it this way today, but I'm also trying to figure out how will I do this once we go live or once the change happens, whatever that change may be. And it's very easy for a client to get overwhelmed and just start thinking, okay, what do I have to do today? What do I have to do uh, next week? Maybe maybe they're looking that far ahead. But delivering with the end in mind is really thinking about how all these things are going to come together, what that first week will look like or the first month. And specifically with payroll, that's that's a very important um, first week that you got to think through. Um, so it's kind of thinking about and and almost instilling a guiding principle early on, on uh, as you talk about requirements, as you talk about change that's happening, how will this play out once we're live? And, and that's an important concept because it really starts flushing out how you're gonna test things. Um, you're gonna start thinking about your timeline, um, how things are gonna start coming together during that cutover period. Um, I say it's a good, very simple, basic concept because um, this is something I, I think Nina and I worked together for a number of years, and we deploy very early on. Um, it's not expensive. Um, Nina, and I, the, the concept we use is our, our visual calendar, right? Having a way of understanding or painting the picture of how work streams, how activities, how initiatives will come together and um, what you would consider a, a 21st century desktop calendar, right? Those old paper desktop um, layouts that people used to have on their desk. Uh, Nina and I, we build one out of Excel. So it, it doesn't cost anything. And it's very basic, but it's it's worth its weight in gold because it clearly communicates to everyone what's happening when. And it's never too early to start putting that together. So so really to summarize, it's it's helping the clients throughout 
the implementation or early on in the project, as things come up, start putting those pieces out um, in, in your first month or so of, of your go live. And so, you know, for me, I've always used the word picture. What does it look and feel like? How do you how do you envision visual? How do you visualize this to happen? Um, and because I think people get stuck in the zoom, zoom, all the steps that you have to take, and they don't they don't see the picture come together and how you orchestrate it. Uh, and we've talked about, you know, conductors, and we've always talked about making all the bunnies hop in the same direction. You know, these are all kind of the, the ways we've used and all these little ways. Bunnies hopping in the same direction. That's a new one. Very hard. <laughs> um, but it's important. And so um, that visualization, we've talked about it as operational readiness. What does the world look like after you go live? And have we started to paint the picture for everyone so that they can understand what does this mean to me? Because as soon as you talk about any implementation, most people are like, what happens to my job? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if that's their first gut reaction, if we're not managing the project to kind of address that gut reaction, you're going to have angst throughout the entire process. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to, I think you have to kind of help people visualize what that would look like, right? Because we, we implement these systems for a living. So we've gone through it numbers of times, dozens of times probably. And we know sort of what the process is like and what it can look like on the other side. But I think it's important to sometimes help customers imagine what it could look like, right? Yeah. You know, you've been on your current payroll platform for 20 years. Everyone there, that's all they know. They grew up in that environment. They don't know what else it could look like, right? So um, sometimes I think we need to help people sort of imagine, you know, give them some ideas of what it could look like and, and talk them through, what do you want it to be look like, right? So what are some of the pain points with your current operation, with your current system, with your current processes that you don't wanna deal with anymore, right? And sort of get those out there into the future and start talking about those. I think that, um, you know, far too often what I've seen is that, um, when people impl implement a new system or a big effort, I think, uh, I think Henry, you said it best, they're just sort of like going through the steps, right? And um, yeah, and then it's just, I mean, it can work that way, right? But I, I think you're, you don't get as good of a result as you could. Um, when, when I was doing payroll implementations, we, we tried our hardest to avoid especially at go live, because there's so many moving pieces, we, we tried our best to avoid doing something for the first time. So, so that really means that by the time you're done with your design, you have to have a clear picture of how it's all gonna come together at go live, because that's gonna inform how you test. And payroll specifically, you're, you're talking about um, a, a data conversion process. Uh, typically my experience, our go lives were uh, the, the first payroll in January. So, so now I'm thinking, okay, um, I'm doing my cutover activities during December, during the holidays. There's year-end activities going on. 
Um, there's a, a time component. How do you get your time in? Uh, does the time team know, right? What are, what are your windows for conversion? What are your windows to have the time energy start processing your first payroll? Um, payroll, in, in, in a sense, is, is very repetitive uh, for every payroll to payroll. Um, so you, you do want your clients starting to get into that mindset and really rehearse and know how things are going to play out that first time. Use your testing, use your parallel um, testing phase to rehearse that and give everyone at least one or two at-bats before they have to sit for down sure. and do it. Yeah. And for me, I think it's very hard for people to lift themselves from the task up into that rehearsal or that, you know, tries at that, Henry, that mm -hmm. you're talking about. Because right now in design, my emphasis is the requirement or my emphasis is, you know, I am writing this test scenario. Uh, you know, like they don't, and in a world of limited time, I'm gonna do what I have to do right this second, not the thing that I need to do six months from now, okay? Mm -hmm. And look at that long horizon. So I think the challenge for us as leaders of a project like this is continuously trying to pull them above the task at hand to see that long horizon. Because your point is really valid, Henry. You can't just assume how I produced payroll before in my old system is how I'm going to do it in the future. I mm -hmm. need to know what my new playbook is for how I'm going to do that. I'm going to need my playbook for that holiday week and who needs to do what. Because, you know, everybody's going to say, oh, you're all hands on the holiday. No, they're not because their wives are going to ask them to be someplace, right? Like, it isn't going to be as easy as you think. You want to make sure you tested it and played it out so that it becomes as as quick and easy to produce that last time um mm -hmm. but that's very hard to make people way back up in the process think about that long term and again i i go back to this is not just payroll okay you know henry i think of conversations we had yesterday with, with our client and it yeah. had nothing to do with payroll it was actually on a different type of implementation but it, it doesn't matter it, it happens in all type projects because they're so focused on the this the very small in front of my face not the longer picture mm -hmm. um so that's a challenge for us so what are some tools and ways do you get companies to not hyper focus on the here and now and start to look at the bigger picture how do you get them to do that early i i think um i think a lot of you know and I, i've seen this from even before my payroll days where when people think of cut over and go live they think about a thousand plus line microsoft project plan um, so that's probably a good example of how not to get people engaged because they're very difficult to read um, you, you don't know what's happening when. I, I, I really do think the visual calendar is one of the one of the critical things. And when we say that, let me just describe it. It's going to Excel, building out a, a, a Sunday through Saturday, four week block. And on there, we detail out or we summarize, not de detail, we summarize what are the major activities happening on each day. Um, it would be very similar to what you would whiteboard if you're in a room together just the basic concepts. 
Um, I've had a lot of consulting firms um, push back. No, it's too early. We're still in design. We're not even in testing. But the question is, well, how do you test? How do you know what to test? How do you know how to take your, your snapshot of data at what point in time? Is it, is it right after the payroll exits? You know, wh when do you do that? You want to get those, those details laid out and, and orchestrated. Um, but you also have to understand what are the other pieces that are coming in? When are all the inputs needed? We talked about time earlier. We talked about um, you know, interfaces that have to come in and feed the payroll. So um, it's, it's very important. I think, I think the, um, the visual calendar is probably the best way to get acceptance from people because they can very quickly, intuitively understand it and know what's happening when. And then you start teasing out those questions. People start saying, well, what about this? What about that? Mm -hmm. I think the visual calendar also gives you relationship mm -hmm. versus a project plan. I know project managers have to have their project plan. Got it. I'm there. Okay. But I think it gives people the ability to visualize when does this happen in correlation to this. And what people have to understand to me in the visual calendar um, tool is uh, that it's a working tool. It will change constantly. So the fact that we're doing it now is okay because I'm putting something in because I think it's going to look like that. We'll tweak it again, right? Yep. But that will give me that for uh, foreshadowing. Um, I think I think uh, that's a huge tool. I think uh, you know this, Steve, because I'm going to say it again because it's my one of my favorites. Okay. I think things like a production checklist and working from your production checklist. But what I like to do is. Um, an exercise where I take the current state production checklist and I translate it into my new world order. So I basically start with what do I do today? What are all the tasks? And it could be production checklist. It could be all the tasks and tasks in the organization. And then I basically cross them, crosswalk them to the new world order. I did this. Oh, I don't need to do this. You know, ADP or SAP is going to handle that automatically. I don't longer have to do that. Or it's going to handle it. But here's my new report. Okay. And this is my report name. So I like to start that crosswalk type of exercise because mm -hmm. then you can then very easily take that future state and say who's doing it. And then people can correlate to what does that mean to me. From there, that easily speaks to what job aids do I need to build? Okay, that easily speaks to who needs to test it then. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can have not only testing, but you can also have some of those mock type exercises. And, and Henry, you've seen me do this a few times, and I've, I've done it in multiple different projects, where we do a mock exercise, where we literally do and pretend we're doing that entire process from start For to finish. Sure. It wasn't yeah. a testing. We weren't our intent was not to get was determined if the system is working our, our our intent there is to push the buttons and make sure we know how to do it right, right? Yeah. and that's a different it's usually done during the testing window but it's a different intent right. of the exercise yep yeah it's it's this piano behind me right i know how it works you push the key it makes noise and i know songs in my head but until I sit down and do it and practice and gain experience, mm -hmm. I, I'll never know how to play that thing. Um, and, and that's what they're saying, that they have to, 
they've heard it, they've seen it, all right? But, but you've got to be hands-on before you're live to, to really internalize it. Um, and, and I think those operational workbooks are, are very critical because, like you said, you know, early on, it gets them thinking about what are all the operational things I do today? And it, and then on the column on the right is, well, what does it map to? And, and as they go through, they start connecting those dots. And if there's gaps, right? So yeah, it's, that's definitely thinking with the end in mind. It's like, how, how will all this map? Yeah. So when, when I think of uh, delivering with the end in mind, one of the things I do that I think is a little different than what we've talked about to this point is um, I'll get with the, the payroll managers and leaders and, and maybe uh, another level up and we'll talk about how do you want payroll to work in the future? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that comes down to we want to simplify the processes. We want to streamline inputs and outputs. We want to um, deliver self-service to people who don't have it today, whatever those things are. And I'll get half a dozen sort of points like that because I think about six is about the right number. I use them as sort of touchstones throughout the project. And as we're going through and we're doing things, um, I use those to help keep us on tracks. So I'll say, and I'll, I'll take this back to the project leaders at some point too, and I'll say, we found that you have three different ways of calculate, calculating vacation accruals. And you know what? It's complex. We can we can do that. We can build those in the system, but you said you want to simplify and standardize. So what do you think about standardizing to just one of those? And you know, we'll do that going forward. Um, they may or may not accept it, but I'm coming back to the touchstone of the project, which is when we go live, we want to have a simpler, more streamlined, standardized system. And I'm giving people the opportunity to get to that. Um, if all we do is focus on requirements, and and we have to do that, right? We have to get into the requirements. And we have to say, this is how you do it today. This is how it maps over to how you do it tomorrow. But if we pass up the opportunity to help our customers meet the goals that they really want to achieve for their business, well, that's a big opportunity missed. And so I would really encourage people to say, identify those those high level things that you want to have. I mean, how do you want to look when you're done with this? You know, what, um, how do you want things to, to be different? And set that as your end goal and then orient everyone around that, right? Because it, if you do that, you kind of give people a, a guidepost to look at, you know, uh, as they're going through this project and they have this guidepost and they can say, well, I'm working on this and I'm seeing that what I'm doing here doesn't really meet where we want to go. So I'm going to raise my hand to my project manager or my manager or my consulting team and say, hey, this this isn't aligning with what we want to do. What what should we do with this? And it could be that you don't do anything with it, but at least you've raised the question, right? And this is this gets to one of my um, pet peeves with the consulting industry who just typically all too often comes in and just takes your old system and duplicates it into the new system. And they do that and then they don't tell you how to use it. They don't do a good job on change management. Um, it's not anything that any of us on this call do because we just don't do that. But all too often it's done that way because you know what? It's, it's easier and it's cheaper. It really is. 
Mm -hmm. But I think what, what it's funny because I'm thinking about guiding, uh, designing with the end in mind and what we're, our conversation has actually continued to move us upstream in the project. Yeah. Determining when you're looking at the end in mind. And what you were talking about, Steve, is, you know, defining those guiding principles, okay, of the project. That is really important. And it's probably one of the things you should be doing in your planning phase. You know, before you even kick off, what are those guiding principles? Because when somebody says, to your point, here are these really complex calculations, you look over to your guiding principles and do they meet any of your guiding principles? If your guiding principle was have it your way, maybe it does. So you have to yeah. go that way, yeah. <laughs> right? But if it's to harmonize or streamline or build to the 80, the 80%, not the exception, how many times do we spend more time on requirements building to the exception? And then when you go, how many of these do you really have? Well, I had one last year, right? Like, okay, I don't, you're spending way too much time on that one last year, okay? Um, but you need to have that guiding principle as why you're starting there, okay? Right. Um, and so I think what we're we're looking at is pushing what it, because we're looking at the end even earlier in the project. I, I And I would underscore planning is very important to, to do it in the planning phase, to identify those guiding principles, because think of the mindset, right? You're not, you're in the honeymoon phase. You're not, uh, you're not stressed. You're not trying to juggle project activities with your your day to day operations. You're in a much more objective state of mind, um, and 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 so that when you're in the design or you're in the testing and you're struggling over something, um, I, I was just thinking back a few weeks back where Nina and I were using guiding principles to help the client. You know, this is a tough decision, so let's let's consult those guiding principles. And if you don't have those established already. It, it's much more difficult to help the manage a client through that. So I, I agree, it, it needs to be um, early in the project. It's a good life skill anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also thinking about designing with the, the end in mind. I'm I'm kind of giggling and thinking in my own brain about this right this second. In that planning phase, one of the things that's really important in that planning phase is to think about what is your group, an operational and technical team going to look like at the end. Yeah. If this, if you're putting someone on your team who this is their swan song and they're gonna leave as soon as it's over, something's wrong with that, okay? Because that's not designing with the end in mind, okay? Maybe designing with their end in mind, but not the organization. <laughs> Okay, and you, how many projects does the person hang in there and then they retire right after or leave or, you know, they're, it just, or they're not skilled. So they're going to end up not being able to handle it anyway. And they yeah. leave any, so you're really not designing with the end in mind. Okay. So that, but yeah. that's a really hard thing for people to do because again, what does this mean to me? Am I gonna lose my job? But as an organization, we have to put some of that personal emotion aside and think truly strategically. Are these the right people for this? Yeah. Keep this going. 
Yeah, you touched on a great point there. I'm glad you brought that up because um, designing with the end in mind can mean a lot of change. And some people will respond well to the change and others won't. And we can do all the change management in the world, but some people may not adapt. And I've always told, you know, the leaders on, on my client side on the projects, let's help people change. Let's give them the tools. Let's, let's do a good job with that. Um, but there's going to be some percentage of your people probably who aren't going to make the switch so well. And it's important that we find a, a different position in the organization where their skills are a better match for their work, because if they aren't skilled or they don't have the capabilities to do the new work, it's not fair for them. It's not fair for the team. The implementation is going to suffer. The go live is going to suffer. And this is just, you know, it's change. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person and that, you know, uh, they're not doing a good job. It just means that they, their skills and their capabilities fit the old way. It's not fitting the new way. So we just need to find a place that, that works for them and then find a new person to put in that position who is right for that position. That organizational change is, is such an important part of getting to the end that you have in mind. And we can't ignore that. These, I, I said during a, a project review just yesterday that all these technology projects, they're really about people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about people and the people are going to make it or break it. Um, the technology is something we tend to focus on, but you know what? These projects are really about people. That's where you make it or break it. Yeah. How many projects have you been on? And in your introductory as a consultant, the client tells you this person's going to be difficult or this yeah. person's going to struggle. So if at that planning stage, an organization is saying that, 95% of the time, the person doesn't change between now and then. As a matter of fact, it's going to be painful between now and then, and will either have a, a critical break where they leave somewhere during the project or they leave right after. How many implementations have you done where the project leave was either let go right after the project or key players in the project? Let me put it that way. Key players yeah. in the project were either let go right after the project, you know, were fired right after the project. like went live like and yeah. organizations know that they know that up front they've been working with these people for many 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 years they're doing themselves a disservice by not making the hard decision up front because it becomes critical later and they will have to make the decision true but it's also on us consultants nina i think also to understand those constraints and educate our customers about it Right, and even gear the project somewhat so that it can be successful given the human constraints we have to work with. I had one project where the everyone in the payroll department, except for the payroll manager, were in a represented workforce, so they were unionized, and um, so moving people around, hiring and firing was very difficult. And you know they were not all A players. We had some A players and we had some D players, just like a lot of organizations have. And so we had to we had to orient the project towards not um, having too much change for people, and also including all of the represented workforce there in the payroll department in the new work design, the process design, and you know so that she can have the buy-in, that she can have the acceptance. So yeah, it, it's up to the consulting firm too to know what those constraints are to tell the client. You know what you might want 
um, that sort of end in mind, but you're not ready for it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we've got to dial it back a little bit. And those are, those can be difficult conversations. You know, I, I, I was thinking, um, as we, we talk about client understanding what, what the, what the new world will look like, um, oftentimes there's, there's a partnership, there's some type of post-production support where, where maybe the client doesn't take it all on. There's some kind of other arrangement, whether it's, uh, it's an outsourced or they just have a, another group there to help with, um, like tier two support. Right. Um, and, and I know being on the consulting side of the house that there's always resource constraints. There's always, okay, this client's going live in January. So maybe come October, we'll start telling them about the post-production support model and, you know, what are the roles and responsibilities? And it's too late for the client, right? Yeah. Uh, oftentimes the client, again, they're looking down, they're getting drinking from a fire hose, just trying to stay on top of the requirements and everything that's in front of them um, and, and not really thinking about that. So kind of going back to the, the planning phase, I, I think, um, if you have the foresight, even, even as part of the contract to, to say, we need to, we need to talk, we need to be discussing what this post-production support looks like. We need to outline those roles and responsibilities. What, what is my organization doing? What is your organization doing? We need to start talking about that early during that blueprint design phase so that we're, we're, we're incorporating those practices as part of our testing. We're getting those rehearsals in. Um, I, I think oftentimes things can be discussed, but if it's not in the contract, you know, you don't have a ton of leverage once you're in the implementation, things kind of, uh, fall, fall away, right? What was discussed or maybe what was agreed to. So I think that's another component of most organizations today have some kind of support that they're, that they're leveraging. But, um, unfortunately the, the people doing the work may not always have clear insights on what that post-production support yeah. model looks like. Well, it's interesting, Henry, you mentioned the contract. So delivering with the end in mind starts with sometimes structuring the contract the right way for implementation, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we keep backing this up, like you said, Dina. So, but when you think of the doing something with the end in mind, that means you got to structure things right up front so that you get to where you want to be at the end of the project. And Henry, you've said this multiple times, you know, if you do it at this point in the project, that's too late. And right. so a lot of these things start with, um, thinking upfront during the project's inception almost, right? Sure. And having a cooperative sort of view with your software provider, your outsourcing provider, your consultancy, um, maybe you get all of them together, right? And talk about, okay, people who are the experts and people who are gonna be providing the service to me. As a customer, tell me what's it gonna be like when this is all done? and start having that conversation and dig into it and get your contract structured correctly and and get your uh, project team set up correctly it it's it's a big it's a big help if you can do that yeah i would really recommend it it's, it's hard to do it all at once you're, you're obviously going to have uh the picture come into focus as you move through the project but you have to be aware of it you can't you know you can't leave it up to, to somebody else to lay out the roles and responsibilities, you have to kind of advocate and push for that. And, and, and I guess that concept ties into what Nina was saying about who's going to go on this journey with you. And, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you can use that post-production model to help, um, 
have those conversations early on, right? If, if, if things are going to change where uh, certain people aren't able to, uh, or, or the model is going to change where maybe, maybe those folks are, are going to be in different roles or different capacities, you know, having that conversation early can, can save you a lot of heartache and a lot of, um, uh, you know, conversations th throughout the, throughout the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this has been a great discussion, Henry and Nina. I mean, as, as usual, we could keep going. Right. But, um, I think half an hour of this is a, is a good start. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, Henry, thanks for joining us on this conversation. Really appreciate, um, you know, your perspective on delivering with the end in mind. Yeah, no worries. And again, um, just kind of for all those listening out there, this may sound pretty basic. Of course, I need to think about the end. Um, I think your best insurance policy for this is to find a partner that's been through this, that has experience, that yeah. has no other interest in mind but your own, right? So this mm -hmm. is not a, a big three. It's not, you know, an established company. I, I think it's really looking at the the consultants out there that have had decades plus experience um, that have built built their careers off of um, helping clients through this if you get someone like that that can advocate for you who's been down the path can help you think because you said earlier see that you know a lot of technology firms are just trying to deliver the baby they're trying to get the technology installed there's a lot of other components so um, while this sounds very obvious it is difficult to do in practice and and for, for what it costs to have one or two consultants that have that experience it's uh, it's a great insurance policy. So um, it is, it is. But we could have a whole podcast on how large consulting firms and technology firms freeze out outside voices. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Nina? Have you have you experienced that? I don't know. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. All right, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for everything. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks. you. Yeah.